0: Fate would like like to thank Jack Rishishan and company for sponsoring this episode of Positive Space. Rishishan manufactures all all sorts of painting and drawing supplies. That's oils, oils, acrylics, watercolors, pastels, charcoal, charcoal. you name it, they probably make it. Heck, they even have studio furniture. Make sure to check out Jack Rishishan at rishishanart.com. That's R-I-C-H-E-S-O-N-A-R-T dot com. Welcome to Positive Space, Conversations and Art Foundations, a production of Foundations in Art, Theory and Education, also known as FATE. Positive Space is a podcast providing opportunities for those passionate about art foundations to discuss and promote excellence in the development and teaching of college-level foundations in art studio and art history classes.
1: Hey there. this is Valerie Powell welcome to positive space today we are in Kansas City at the fate conference and I'm talking to Scott Betts who is a 2017 leadership award winner welcome Scott Thanks Valerie yeah it's really great to have you here
2: It's good to be here
1: yeah so thinking about leadership and thinking about you know your award wh- what are some things that stand out in terms of you know your role as a leader throughout your career
2: well I think that many people, look at somebody in whatever position they're in and they have a hard time understanding how they get from, you know, their beginning to that higher level. Mm -hmm. And with FATE, it had always been just trying to find, you know, what is a way to um, get a little bit closer to uh, knowing more about uh, foundations and then uh, also connecting with the people that I was perceiving as, you know, people that knew more. And as a uh, president of Fate, a former president of Fate, I, I realize I really don 't know that much more <laughs> um, it's it's a it 's an, an illusion, but what you're able to do is you're able to craft the organization so it can help people um, uh, more than it may have in the past so the uh, sort of arc of my history was that I first heard about fate uh, when I was just a um, instructor, a salary line instructor at Mississippi mm. State University. And I didn't know anything about foundations teaching, and there was no sort of book out there at the time. Mm-hmm. It was 1987, so um, I was, or not 1997, and uh, so I was, you know, looking for mentorship. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes your own faculty aren't the best people to do that, and you can take risks and ask, you know, some dumb questions for from strangers. <laughs> so I found out that they had a um, a regional coordinator. And uh, what I did was I became the uh, uh, sort of Mountain West Regional Coordinator in Utah. And I drove up Mm. and down the interstate, you know, anytime I had free time talking to any department chair at any school that would listen about foundations and trying to get them to join,
3: wow. more more like a
2: salesman at that point. <laughs> and uh, from there, um, I was perceived as somebody that knew something about foundations. And when the Utah Board of Regents got together to look at the way transfer credits were behaving mm-hmm. from the big flagship school at University of Utah and then all of the schools around, um, they invited me, I was the only faculty member invited to kind of listen in and add advice uh, to that um, proceeding, oh, wow. and then from there, um, uh, I tried to find my way um, back into the southeast. I I'm, I'm, um, have children that are in the in the southeast, and I, I wanted to be closer to family. So um, I became the uh, uh, southeastern college uh, art conference uh, liaison mm-hmm. or representative. Mm-hmm. And when my time expired with that, I became the CAA representative. <laughs> and when my time expired with that. <laughs> Um, Someone said, well, you know, would you like to uh, take on a leadership role? And I had just gotten tenure. And sometimes we think of our time selfishly. And I was thinking, how will this help my career? Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, well, I'm really not doing it for helping my career. I don't really think that this is going to make any difference on my resume, but it could make a difference to all the people that were like me as I was moving up. Mm. And I also had an opinion about some of the larger organizations that the research-centered, sometimes ego-centered relationships that happen at those conferences, we were really interested in teaching and students Mm. and the direct relationship to our good teaching And I felt like, well, this is something that I should try. And so I pursued uh, being the president, and I did it for six six years.
1: Six years. No kidding. Wow. And, I mean, you're just someone that it seems like is is constantly – in a position of everyone's looking at you and saying, what do you think? You know, like how do we do this? What's your opinion? And um, I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible to think about the kind of impact that you, that you've had, not just in fate, but in CCAC and other organizations. And you've seen a lot of growth and a lot of change, you know, within those, those time periods and within those groups, are there things that you're, um, you know, becoming more aware of that are trends or that are happening um, within, creative realms yeah
2: well i think that the um, lack of knowledge that i had with what was going on foundation teaching i came up with the idea of having a foundation exhibition Mm
3: -hmm. and
2: i thought the only way i could get foundation students involved uh, across the united states would be to give an opportunity for their faculty to be involved so it was a a foundation student mentor Mm -hmm. exhibition in utah and uh, we were able to uh, get a, a real broad swath of uh, Un- United States uh, Foundation students and teachers. And what we wanted to do is to see what was being taught out there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we, we didn't really have a good way of looking uh, for that. And you can look at the catalogs at different schools. And sometimes the bigger schools have a bigger budget. So you'll see lots of beautiful work coming out of Cranbrook or mm-hmm. um, School of the Art Institute or MICA or wherever uh, but it's those small schools and those small school faculty that really need to know what's going on. Mm-hmm. So so we invited anybody that wanted to participate to have this exhibition. And I thought, well, while, while we're doing that, I'll ask some questions. Mm-hmm. And it developed into the 2003 uh, survey of foundation teaching right. that... Um, really was the first time somebody said it was the 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 most robust robust amount of data from foundation teaching that exists out there and uh, when 2013 came around it just seemed like the round number of a decade that I thought Mm -hmm. well let's try this one more time and Mm -hmm. compare information and what I'm finding is that generally um, about a third of foundation faculty think that we're doing the right thing in that we're keeping up with the industry or we're keeping up with what's going on in the art world and design world. But um, 66% either think that we're not
3: Hmm. keeping
2: up or they don't know if we are. And that that sort of negative response to me is the um, biggest reason why fate needs to be able to report on what is going on and what is um, being successful about our teaching Mm -hmm. And it's the pluralism of the art world today that that older sort of one trick foundation, and Mm -hmm. if we were all going into uh, painting and sculpture, perhaps architecture, sometimes that foundation's a little bit easier to keep singular. But Mm -hmm. now that we've got uh, computer graphics and video and uh, performance and all of the other genres that are out there, that single foundation uh, becomes harder to be uh, the most successful foundation for everybody.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think that the um, the idea of a foundation is uh, is an old-fashioned term that we have to keep remembering. It could be other things. So the landscape-based architectural foundation of the foundation of a house or a building mm-hmm. that not only defines its perimeter – but also perhaps how big it could be because how strong that foundation is,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, I think there are other models to consider. And so some of those other models are a, uh, a kind of foundation that is uh, one directional, a uh, foundation of, say, uh, uh, what a train would need for a railroad
3: to mm. move forward
2: or for the multidirectional uh, directions that would be, from a car chassis as a foundation that then we can oh, drive interesting. this. interesting, yeah. And then even from a uh, sort of a space point of view without <laughs> gravity where you have a central foundation we could build out in, you know, infinite directions. Um, and, and so it's it's those kinds of other foundations that might work in the larger schools or the schools with many different disciplines.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But I believe that there's still quite a few small schools out there that serve a student body of the typical studio art and Mm -hmm. computer graphics uh, degrees and that, you know, there there are still students out there that would do well by some of the foundation metaphors that are, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 years old.
1: Sure. And it seems like knowing who you're speaking to and sort of knowing that framework and what's going to work best in that situation is important.
2: Of course, because a lot of people get nervous about being told what to do or having some metric in front of them that they have to check off these boxes, and it's the same boxes for everyone. And that's really not it at all. And that's why FATE put together those guidelines uh, several years ago that it's not requirements or it's not a recipe, but just in general, these are things we believe to be important.
3: Mm -hmm. But
2: the, the most important thing to remember is that every school would have, should have a different foundation.
1: Mm -hmm. But they
2: should have a foundation. Right. Otherwise, the retention rates for students, which deans like to know about, and this is a a kind of um, conversation piece that faculty should know they have, that it's not just in your department, but your, your dean would be happy to know that you're doing things to build that bridge from high school to their first and second years where your retention rates will rise because of your better foundation
1: and mm-hmm. perhaps that
2: improved budget that you need or that improved <laughs> right. facility that you need to increase those uh, retention rates.
1: Right, and the retention's a big thing. You know, we, we hear about that. We want that. We want to have students, you know, fulfill that mm-hmm. and stick around, you know. Um, but, but, like, in terms of the survey, which is so impressive, you know, to have those – um, written out and to be able to look at that and say, here's what we value, right. you know, as an organization. Um, you know, h- how did you go about doing that? How, how did that happen? Like physically was something mailed out? Was it on the internet? Was it um, gathered? What kind of questions? How did you, I'm asking you a lot of questions. I realize that, but like, how, how did you kind of determine where, where to begin with those kinds of questions and that kind of data?
2: Right. Well, um, to be honest, I did have Uh, a slice of an agenda in there. Mm -hmm. And that was that I saw the world moving in a direction of design that was enhanced by time. And so this is animation. um, This is interactive software. Mm -hmm. um, This is anything that is uh, about movement, uh, change, uh, kind of articulation over over time. Mm -hmm. And the easiest way to explain this, and i probably I'm dating myself to make this kind of uh, illustration. But at one time we had cassette tapes and we (laughs) had a cassette deck. (laughs) And when you would try to open and get your cassette out, there were two versions. There was one where it would just plop out and it would just be like a, an eject. And there was another one that was a slow cushioned eject. Mm -hmm. And what I was reading was that the audio manufacturers, um, there wasn't really much more money into making this soft eject but the perceived value of that was—it's like when you close your car door and the dome light dims, rather right? uh-huh. it just shuts off. Uh-huh. So this was a part of 40 design, and it goes into greater areas than than, than just that, into narrative and uh, comic books and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But. I was wondering what people thought about that. And mm. is this a new direction? Cause this would be in those sort of D metaphors, 2d, 3d and 40, this would be another D. Mm-hmm. And as Mary may have said, anytime you add something to a program, you got to take something away. You just can't keep adding on.
3: Mm-hmm. So,
2: um, I was trying to find a way to, um, see what people needed, see what questions people had and also what they valued. Mm. And, uh, so I, I asked uh, questions about craft, about analog mixing, about concept, about career strategies,
1: mm-hmm. about
2: um, art history and uh, contemporary theory. And um, I put together a online, it's like Survey Monkey, it was called Kai Tester at my uh, previous school at Weber State University. And I worked with the people in the computer science to have this mm-hmm. available, and it was web-based. And so mm-hmm. I just started looking up um, art schools and sending out email uh, invitations for people mm-hmm. to take this. And we had about 525 partials with about 250 to 270 solid, you know, full responses, mm. enough to be able to use their response uh, because we went also cross-compare to see that here are faculty that have one to three-year experience Mm -hmm. compared to faculty with 10 or more experience. Sure. And then what do they value? You know, what do Mm -hmm. they think is important? And we could track trends that way. Yeah. So we did it in 2003. We did it again in 2013, and I feel I've I've got the energy to do it one more time, 2023, and then I'll be looking for someone that will take it over. Take it over. And perhaps it could be a fate asset that they would be able to hold on to, you know, uh, indefinitely. And the long-term tracking of this could be really beneficial to see in 100 years, you know, what sure. what are the sort of uh, the metrics, the factual, the responses that, that have changed and uh, as you know, we know so much about the Bauhaus because they wrote about their studies and right, teachings. Right. And so, if we can keep writing and collecting this, we may have a really rich story in you know the next.
1: Definitely, or years. definitely. Well, and I I think about just you know the the wealth of that information and the power in that. You know, when you're talking to your dean or talking to your chair, and you can't just say, "Well, this is what I need and this is important," but you can say, "Oh, but look, this is what's trending. This right. is what everyone at a state school is is expected." Or you know, this is a class size, and I know I specifically use that document to justify that mm-hmm. I shouldn't be teaching forty students in a right. studio course. You know, that that was really unsafe and maybe not the best for everyone um, involved. So it's, it's so helpful and so valuable to have that, that kind of knowledge. Um, how, how long did that sort of survey take? Was that something that took, was it like a year of gathering the data? Or did it maybe not take long to gather the data, but longer maybe to analyze it?
2: Well, we had the... Um the survey open for about six months. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that you need to do is you need to have kind of pressing deadline for things to happen. We're all so busy. Sure. So if we think, Oh, sure. I've got six months to do this. So I think I probably told people in the next m- month, if you can fill this out, that would be great. Mm-hmm. And then I said, well, we're going to extend it and then we'll right. extend it. So, right. um, but, um, it, it helps if, um, if you have, uh, already, Participated in this, and mm-hmm. you may want to come back to it, but also to make mm-hmm. sure that we're able to get new um, opinions, new uh, sure. eyes into this. And so, if you if you haven't, um, you know, to have that opportunity. Um, but I, I met some people at this conference that uh, have asked about the the data. Yeah, and we all only have so much time, and somebody that can manipulate this uh, data uh, much more quickly i'm interested in collaborating with them, so I met one uh, gentleman that's going to help with this. But we really want to start to see um, uh, more detailed results mm-hmm. from this instead of this the big picture.
1: Right, because it would be helpful to break it down. You know what, what's happening at an, an R school. What's happening in the south? Right. You know what's happening in my region mm-hmm. um, to be able to take that to my chair or to my dean and say this is this is what's going on and this is how we can be competitive or this is how we can be more effective. Right. You know is is so important. Um, what what is it about you know? Because I, I feel like, like you have a skill of seeing the big picture and seeing kind of what's going on sort of in this like overarching way. Has it always been like that for you? Or that had to, is that something you've just sort of had to um, train yourself to, to sort of see things that way?
2: Well, I, no, I, I, I um, of course, have my uh, opinion about art. And as a student, I had my experience of being taught. Mm-hmm. And then once I started to teach Then I realized I really knew nothing about a lot of these subjects, (laughs) and it really changed. So the first time I taught a color class, um, I honestly had never heard of Itten, and I was a graduate student that had not heard of uh, of, uh, Johannes Itten. So um, by, by teaching, you start to understand what you don't know.
3: Mm-hmm. And then and
2: through conversations with other people, you realize also what you don't know. Sure. And it's a long process of sort of stretching your brain into a new position, hoping, you know, that it never goes back. You know, mm-hmm. you just continue to expand.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, uh, you know, a metaphor, a metaphor is uh, more like a trail guide. Than a you know a knowledge holder, and that you know let's keep going back and forth over this trail, and we'll Mm -hmm. keep seeing new things, and you invite more people along the way, and they see things, and that makes the conversation richer.
1: Definitely. Well, and what made you want to be a professor? Like how how did that happen for for you?
2: Well, the truth is, I I didn't want to be a (laughs) professor. Um, I had high ideas of what I would do, and um, the. uh, the beginning of it was that um, my family had a slaughterhouse and a meatpacking company and my grandfather wanted me to follow in his footsteps. So oh. there's nothing like the motivation of, you know, knowing that if I don't succeed in college, I'm going back to the slaughterhouse. <laughs> so um, and I also had a, um, uh, uh, a counselor at my high school that just said to me blatantly, I don't think you're college material and uh wow. I had to really work with my family and the um sort of opinion about my um being a student at the high school level, which I was really squirrely and really you know graduated at the middle of my class, nothing stellar at all but the the excitement of finally getting to college and studying the things that I was interested in mm. uh, having more and more art classes and then being around other people that you know you can be the 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 weird art student in high school, but suddenly when you've got nine other weird art students around <laughs> you, it's like solidarity. <laughs> so, um, so I just kept working through all of that, and uh, I, I think that that was um, a, a big part of my growth um, as an artist. But I wanted to go to New York, and mm. I had the you know classic New York studio artist uh, role in my head, and when I first got there and I stayed with an artist, uh, artist by the name of Clayton Patterson. He lived on Avenue A south of Houston. And this was uh, the eighties.
3: Mm.
2: Um, it scared the heck out of me. <laughs> and, um, but still he was a su- successful artist in New York. Um, and, uh, he also had this dog named Gunner, at his studio and I was really liking his lifestyle. So I remember on the, on the drive home, I was with my friends. It was a spring break. I said, you know, one of these days I'm going to live in New York and I'm going to be a successful artist and I'm going to have a dog named Gunner. (laughs) And the joke goes that I got a dog just a few years after that and I named him Gunner. But that's, I got one third of the the, the dream. (laughs) Um, While I was trying to survive as a graduate student, one of the perks is a income that comes from being a TA, mm-hmm. the stipend that comes from that. And, uh, I, uh, I, I took on that role mm-hmm. and I found that I enjoyed it. I, I found that I was successful at it and I grew into that position and the idea of going to New York faded away
3: mm-hmm. and
2: I saw a, um, a less competitive, uh, a kind of truer to my uh, person, uh, vocation in you know being in the studio being in a uh, a safer place it seemed safer to me um mm-hmm. because of the uh, uh the, the the students would always be there
3: mm-hmm.
2: i wasn't sure the the uh the customers would always be there you know sure sure and uh, and, and so i think i took a conservative path in teaching mm-hmm. but then i really tried to uh, do what i could with my art studio mhm and While if I had gone to New York and found any success, my sort of uh, retrospective is that would I feel that I needed to continue that type of work to Mm. maintain those clients, those, those customers, but because I didn't have a successful gallery selling my work, every time I wanted to do something different, I could. Oh. And I remember when I went up to uh, Sun Valley Idaho and I talked to a gallerist up there and she was very very generous, gave me a lot of her time and I showed her my slides and this was the 20 slide sleeve era. <laughs> and she looked at this and she says, "You know, this could be 20 different people."
3: Mm.
2: And I go, "Wow, I, I I see what it's all what's cohesive about it, but but she didn't." Mm. And I now take that as an, an incredible opportunity mm. because my Work has grown and evolved in leaps and bounds because of the freedom of not being um, commercially successful. Mm. And uh, I've been able to maneuver myself into different areas. And the most recent, you you have to remember, I'm a a studio painter.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Uh, I got a, a BFA in painting. A Master's of Science in Painting and an MFA in Painting. Hmm. But I was able to be the interim director of the Center for Design Innovation mm-hmm. just because I've put myself in positions of looking at motion capture, scientific visualization, and collaborations with scientists and a uh, whole uh, slew of other mm-hmm. uh, professionals. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I credit that opportunity to me being a teacher first
1: Mm -hmm. and
2: a studio experimenter rather than Mm -hmm. uh, being uh, focused on a cohesive body of work uh, for sales.
1: Right. And I think that the fact that, you seem to be driven by curiosity and like like wanting to know new things, um, whether that 's in science and collaboration in in all of those areas um, and is you know when when you were growing up, did you know that you wanted to be an artist what, or was that something that that happened you know later when you were in school?
2: Well, I had a horrible experience in seventh grade because uh, Kent Weber could draw chrome on a badass car better than I could <laughs> and my chrome just looked like you know a pipe
3: but uh-huh, his chrome uh-huh.
2: looked like chrome yeah I didn't know how to yeah. do that so I thought <laughs> no I'm not going to be able to be an artist because Kent's going to be better than I am um, but uh, I I went through high school on a twin trail of theater and music or I'm sorry theater and art Mm -hmm. and there was music within uh, the the theater aspect of it and uh, I was just letting the awards or the accolades uh, divine me towards whichever path I was headed to Mm -hmm. and while I think that at that time I was equally talented and equally successful in both areas no one was really saying, you know, here's something for you in theater. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, uh, auditioned and did different things. But I did win awards in, uh, in art. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and so that, that led me down that direction. But when you were asking about collaboration, I think the, the first uh, idea of collaboration was from my kids, uh, Will and Kate. And what they did to my life was they showed me that a painting could no longer be a static view um, on a wall that was um, still and uh, and peaceful.
1: Mm. Their
2: um, uh, wonderful intrusion into my life brought toys that made noise and lit up, mm. and I tripped over them, and I suddenly realized that this 4D that I was talking about earlier – Things needed to be able to move and interact and react mm. and so mm-hmm. so I began to collaborate with them and and that was part of what really changed my um, uh, my experimenting mm-hmm. uh, because each six months those two children would change and what they were interested in and what they were capable of and how I could interact with them, Mm -hmm. it was a constant renewal. So I would work with their loose drawing and and freedom Mm -hmm. of color. And then I Mm -hmm. would take on their strange image making and, you know, cryptic kinds of uh, symbols. And then Mm -hmm. uh, they would start to tell stories that were stories differently than I would put together. And and this moved on and on to the point where we were um, uh, developing video games Uh, that they would decide what the narrative and the characters would be. Uh, My son was a skateboarding pirate. My daughter was a karaoke (laughs) fairy princess. And she was the younger, and she was often sort of behind him in a kind of power play. But she said in this video game, why don't you let me be the the sage, the one that teaches the skateboarding Mm. pirate how to get through all of these different levels? And so she would fly in and say snarky uh, remarks to my, my son. <laughs> and it was a, a, a great experience with, with all of that. So uh, I, I created a lot of different um, uh, events in my past that has sort of um, propelled me into where I am now.
1: Yeah, and it's like informed who you are, not only as an artist, but as a as a professor, you know, and, 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 and all the roles that you've had. And it seems like, like play and curiosity are important to what you do and how, how you think. And, and
2: I think what would be beneficial to anyone listening is it's really whatever is true to you. So mm. not to, um, grab on to whatever a podcast speaker is saying and thinking i want to do that but the mm-hmm. essence of what motivates them what what is the essence of what motivates you and you may be can you know the listener may be incredibly scientific or incredibly, um, shy Mm -hmm. or, um, incredibly collaborative, Mm -hmm. but whatever it is that is sort of truest to your character, Mm -hmm. that's the easiest thing to build up into, um, a a larger voice or a larger expression.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, do you have any advice for anyone that might want to get involved or to help the greater cause or be part of the greater conversation in terms of foundations, in terms of, education. Um, Do you have any thoughts on that just in terms of um, steps or practical ways that they could, you know, be, be of service?
2: Well, um, I'm reminded of what other people have said, and I don't know that I'm uh, the right person to ask for advice, but I can relay what I've heard from other people that I find is, is true. Mm -hmm. And I remember being a very um, uh, excited and uh, not in the bad way, but, perhaps in a questionable way, upwardly mobile, you know, Mm. grad student, like Mm -hmm. how do I get to this next level? And we had a uh, visiting artist that uh, came in and I remember talking to him about who I thought was like the coolest artist. Somebody was probably on the cover of an art magazine
3: Mm -hmm.
2: and he was uh, from Poland and he stopped. We were walking down the stairs and I remember the exact step uh, in the uh, art building. He looked back at me and he goes, why do you like this person? And I didn't really have a good answer and he, mm. he he looked at me, he goes, This person's an asshole. He says, Why wow. do you want to be an asshole?
1: <laughs> and wow.
2: And so what I've what I've found is that this career, this life is long mm-hmm. and you never know who you will meet again.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: the easiest thing to do is to realize that, you know, by your behavior with your students, your behavior with your faculty and your other colleagues as you meet along the way one of these people is going to reach out and give you a hand at some mm-hmm. point. And so think carefully about what you're right, saying to, right. to each person.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. That's that's like pa- powerful stuff, you know, because <laughs> it, it's such a small world, you know, when we think about who somebody knows and, well, somebody went to grad school with this person and then somebody, you know, it's it's all very, very tight and related. Yeah,
2: it, it, it can all um, uh, hurt you or it can all help you and line up your uh, your possibilities along with the who can help you. And, and
1: Sure. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Well, Scott, it has been so wonderful to talk with you. And I, I sincerely appreciate all that you've done for this group and for the cause and that you continue to do. I really appreciate your leadership.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you very much for the
0: opportunity.
1: You're welcome. Okay.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Positive Space. If you're interested in being part of FATE's ongoing conversation about art foundations, visit the FATE website at foundationsart.org. Don't forget the dash between foundations and art. This episode's interview was conducted by Valerie Powell and was engineered and edited by Raymond Gaddy. Our theme music was provided by Lee Rosevere. If you like what you hear on Positive Space, be sure to give us a review at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever it is you find your podcast. Better yet, send us some audio. You can call Positive Space at 904-990-FATE. That's 904-990-3283. You may find your voice on the next episode of Positive Space.